holy garments and ways of dressing. This was prepared for Aaron as God put in place for generations what the priest would look like. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Ember. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV where we are discovering the Bible and what God has said to us. It is very good. We're going to do that in the next half hour. Corey and Reiner here. Corey? I'm going to be looking at what is probably the most mysterious aspect of the high priest's garment, uh, the Urim and Thummim. Ryan? Well, today I'm attempting to clear up a supposed contradiction between Exodus 33.11 and Exodus 33.20. One verse teaches that God can be seen face to face, while the other says he cannot. So which is it? I just answered that question as well in the Ask the Pastor question on Wednesday. That's very good. Okay, Janice, what'd you do? Complex and elaborate workings. All right, next 30 minutes, we're going to talk about all of this. Let's open up the Bible and learn. Exodus 39, verses 1 through 7. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry, for ministering in the holy place, and made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets, and cut it into threads, to work it in with the blue, purple and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved, as signets are engraved, with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Exodus chapter 39, verses 1 through seven. Exodus chapter 37 to 40, that's what we read today. It's really interesting. You know, the fashion industry is booming. We truly care about what we wear, don't we? Now, in recent years, many pastors have made it a priority to dress normally on Sunday to illustrate that God cares more about your heart than your clothes. Well, that's true. But that does not mean dressing up for Sunday service is necessarily wrong or that God doesn't care about what you wear. He does. Why do we dress the way we do? Is it for attention? Is it for praise? Or is it for social acceptance? Or is it for the Lord? When we dress well or the best we can, it shows a level of respect that we have for God. And like a wedding ceremony, Sunday service reflects the final consummation of Christ to his church. We are not dressing for each other, but we are dressing for God. Some like to say, we're meeting with the king. 
In dressing our best or with godly intention, we attempt to show who we are and what we believe about God. Now, the Lord told Moses that the priests were to wear unique and anointed clothes when they did the work of God in his temple. And today, this is interesting. We're going to talk about this. And uh, let me just encourage you to go get your Bible guide and turn to today's page. If you don't have one, why not? You can call us. The phone number is on the bottom of the screen. Or you can write to us. The address is also available to you if you just write to us. Another way to do this is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide and it will take you to a page where you can donate. Thank you for your donations. But it'll also take you to a page where you can download the Bible guide in seconds. Be with us. So as we talk about holy garments from Exodus chapter 39, let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ that we would hear you. So many people are dressing to impress the people on television, on the internet, and everywhere else. Lord, I, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would learn what this means with the holy garments. Help us to understand the reality of how we dress in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, listen carefully to this and understand what God says, because we're praying here for God to teach us. Exodus chapter 39, verse 1. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry. They made garments of ministry. For ministering in the holy place made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Fascinating. Holy garments of ministry were made for Aaron according to the priesthood. See, it is not how well we are dressed, but that we dress right for God. Now, let me see if I can explain this because this gets important. You've seen churches with choir robes. I was taught when I was young, the reason people wore choir robes was because there were people in the choir from all walks of life, rich and not rich. And when they stood up in front of people to sing, you did not want to judge them by their clothes. So everybody wore the same robe because that's what you wore in the choir. That's a great way to look at it. And it's the truth. So beloved, we need to understand that what we wear makes a statement. And the Lord said to Moses, he said, I want my priests to wear specific things. I don't want them to be wrapped up into what they wear because I'm giving them the command to wear this, period. That's what you wear. That's it. Fascinating. Exodus chapter 39, verse 2. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut them into threads to work in it with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. And it was coupled together at its two edges. And the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. Beloved, we need to understand that. The second point is important. 
as God designs command, as he commands, as God designed commanded, the men created garments of ministry with the best they had. God deserves the best we have. And that's exactly what we learn, is that God is helping us to serve him. The dressing of the holy garments and all that is a way that God organizes things so that we're not impressed with each other. But this is God's calling. He put it into their hearts. They make it and they wear it. The, the, the God, godly constructed idea, very important. So this actually does the same thing, takes the attention off the clothes and puts it on what they're doing. We need to remember that. Now, let's go on to the next two verses, six and seven. It says, and they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Beloved, do you understand? You see, God placed the names of the sons of Israel on the shoulders of the garment for all generations. He did that. The Lord remembers perfectly we do not. Keep this in mind. God's memory is divine. It doesn't fade like ours. God does not get Alzheimer's disease. God doesn't, I mean, because we have sin failure and all kinds, and I'm not suggesting that sin does that. I'm just saying that we fail. Our eyes fail, our ears fail, and there's parts of our body that fail. But God's divine mind does not fail. He is the source of strength. So he remembers and sees everything, no matter how long ago it was. Do you know God remembers everything? And God designed for the priest a way to dress so that when they were in front of the people and when the people brought their offerings and when the people did the things they did around the tabernacle, that they would understand that these are God's workers. Beloved, today, I think we could use some of that in our church. Let's remember that this work is the work of Jesus Christ. And we're not here to impress people with what we wear and how we smell and all of that. We're here to do the Lord's work. And we have to address the best we can. But at the same time, when we're in front, maybe we should just pay attention and do very subtle things with our clothes. In some cases, we might need to return to church choir robes. Nothing wrong with that. But we need to remember that we're in the work of God, beloved. That's what the Lord is saying here. So let's keep that in mind because we can't forget that. God's church is to work for his representation and not our impressiveness. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. 
All right, so in our scripture reading today that we were assigned, uh, it covers the garments of the high priest and the priestly robes, which are really interesting in and of themselves. Uh, but there are uh, two little objects that are quite mysterious and they come into play later on in the Old Testament several times. Uh, and uh, today you and I are going to be exploring them culturally, historically from the Bible. What can we know about the Urim and Thummim? The Urim and Thummim of the Bible are a bit of a mystery. They were held by the nine-inch square fabric breastpiece of the high priest's garb that was decorated by 12 stones, each carved with the name of an Israelite tribe. Despite extensive descriptions of the high priest's outfit, as well as the 12 stones, the Bible is surprisingly silent on the Urim and Thummim. What they were made of, how many of them there were, and their exact function are areas of debate. The only crystal clear thing about them was their purpose. They were to be used for making decisions for the Israelite nation. This decision-making was to be done in the presence of the Lord by the high priest at the request of the leader of Israel. How this process worked has been a matter of discussion. The Jewish Roman historian Josephus links the breastpiece with a special manifestation of God's presence that involved the glowing of the stones on the breastpiece and on the shoulders of the high priest. This association may stem from the possible meaning of Urim and Thummim as light and perfection. Other Jewish traditions envision messages from God being spelled out by a miraculous light, or a vision that saw the carved letters standing out from the names carved on the stones of the breastpiece. While these traditions are interesting, especially in the light of the potential meaning of Urim and Thummim, it's wise to examine the biblical passages that allude to their use. In 1 Samuel 14, King Saul inquires of God by the Urim and Thummim. When God doesn't respond, Saul gathers the nation for prayer and then sets designations for the Urim and Thummim. Urim will mean Saul, Thummim will mean Jonathan. Then the scriptures say they cast the lot between them. This term may explain the small number of mentions of the Urim and Thummim in the Bible. The phrases inquiring of the Lord and casting lots may refer to the use of Urim and Thummim depending on context. Casting lots was also a pagan form of divination and as such was actually outlawed by the Mosaic law. So how do we reconcile the apparent discrepancy between God outlawing divination while also sanctioning a certain kind of it? First, it's helpful to note that the Urim and Thummim were only to be used in the presence of God by the high priest and the leader of the nation. It was their way of deferring ultimate leadership to God's will. Anything apart from this was considered apostate. Second, the prophet Samuel's chastisement of Saul may be helpful here. He says that rebellion is like the sin of divination. How? Rebellion rejects the current authority and seeks to do things its own way, as divination rejects the proper methods of communicating with the spiritual world and seeks to do that its own way. So when it came to divination, was Israel willing to follow God, or would they make excuses to justify becoming like the cultures around them? So there we go. It may not be as exhaustive or concrete as we may want. I, I mean, I know that I, I love a good mystery, but I love getting to the bottom of the mystery and knowing without a shadow of a doubt, you know, what it is and what's going on and how we should understand it historically. That's not completely the case here with the Urim and the Thummim, but uh, we do know some things about it. So that's just going to have to get us through. So I hope that as we continue reading through the New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, that as we get to those 
sections where it talks about the Urim and the Thummim or uh, uh, asking God with uh, with the rolling of the dice, uh, that you think back to this segment and remember what we've learned today. I think it's important to also remember there are a lot of people who have said, uh, well, uh, I know because I'm Jewish or whatever, I know this is the Urim and Thummim, look mm-hmm. like this. and but. You really don't. You really can't know for sure. And uh, so I think we need to be careful what we attach to these things. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the replica is behind Ryan there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a replica, but it's not exactly because we just got the measurements from Exodus and put it together with wood and so on. But who knows what the Ark of the Covenant truly looked like. Right. And you can make really good educated guesses based off of uh, the culture of the time and based off of tradition that has passed on and right. based off of um, descriptions in the Bible. And it's the same thing you're in the thumb. And there are descriptions in there, uh, but it's it's maybe not as much as we would like. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's not. And because we like to be people that have the answers and get the answers yeah. and do the work. And but maybe God does not want us to have the answers. Well, maybe, maybe well because maybe it's not about and maybe it's not about that. It says so, it says something else about God's nature. So because God's nature is He's a living God, mm-hmm. and uh, He's not you know in an ark, uh, although that represented Him. But He's a living God in the spirit, and when our lives extinguish, our spirits will see Him for the first time uh, in the ways that we have not seen Him before. So it's going to be very very interesting. All right. Ryan. Yeah, well, today I'm attempting to resolve an alleged Bible contradiction in Exodus chapter 33, and it's this. Can God be seen face-to-face or not? Verse 11 says that the Lord regularly spoke with Moses face-to-face, but then down in verse 20, God tells Moses that he cannot see his face and live. So which is it? Well, let's look at this passage very carefully. Skeptics of the Bible believe the scriptures to be full of errors and contradictions. For example, they ask, can God be seen face to face as Genesis 32:30 and Exodus 33:11 say, or not be seen face to face as Exodus 33:20, John 1:18 and 1 John 4:12 record? Genesis 32:30 says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Exodus 33:11 also states that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. However, in Exodus 33:20, God says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And both John 1:18 and 1 John 4:12 record that no one has seen God at any time. Many critics point to this as one of the greatest contradictions in Scripture, because it appears to break the law of non-contradiction. This law states that A cannot equal non-A. However, many forget the last part of this law, which states that A cannot equal non-A at the same time and in the same relationship. This is important because in the full context there is indeed a change of relationship. Often when there are two verses which are very close together in the Bible and seemingly in conflict, in this case Exodus 33.11 and Exodus 33.20, putting the passage into context will shed some light on the situation. Indeed, in context we can see that this is a conversation between the Lord and Moses, in which Moses asks God in verse 18 if he will reveal himself to him in his glory. This changes the relationship. Moses has already been speaking to God face to face previously, but not in his full glory. God then tells Moses that no human can see the face of God in his glory and live. So God can be seen face to face, but not in his glory. We can see here that there is absolutely no contradiction. 
So to review, we've seen that when we read Exodus 33 in context, there is a change in the relationship between Moses and God. Moses had been speaking with the Lord face to face already, but God was not in his full glory. Moses wanted to see that glory, but God told him that his human body wouldn't be able to handle it. So yes, God can be seen face to face by humans, just not in his full glory. I think it's interesting because a lot of people have said that you can't see God face to face and live, and yet, yet, we understand if you go back to the time uh, where the Ten Commandments was given in Exodus 20, you read Exodus 19 carefully, God never said that. What he said was, he said that the, the people said, don't talk to us, talk to Moses, because we don't want to die. The people's reaction was fear. Now, God covered with a cloud because he did not want the people to see him as he talked to Moses. But remember that Moses was 120 years old when he perished mm -hmm. and he was still seeing well and doing well. I mean, 120. Can you believe that? That's really something. So it, it, it's important for us to recognize how much of this is what the people have said, because the Bible says it. Mm -hmm. and that's what makes it hard to understand Jesus. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Yeah, exactly. He was fully God and he was fully man. We don't understand that, but that's yeah. what he was. And I believe Moses was speaking to the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That's my own personal I, belief. A, um, but we, we, you know, we see we see a physical representation throughout the Old Testament sometimes. And we see uh, the the Mount of Transfiguration, yeah. and we see all of that. The the we, he's talking with Elijah and Moses. I mean, that's in, incredible. Yeah, the commander of the army of the Lord and Joshua and, yeah. and so on. You know, I mean. So. It's amazing. Anyway, we're getting off. We're running out of time. Sorry, Jim. That's all right. No. Uh, but anyway, it's really good. Thank you, Ryan. Go ahead. All right. Well, I titled my uh, segment today, Complex and Elaborate Workings. Uh, to me, it's fascinating as we read about the details uh, in the priestly garments that are being made. The preparation alone um, in getting the materials ready in order to be fashioned into the various items. And I know I've already read the portion of the Bible that, uh, that I'm gonna read again, and Rod has uh, read the portions with his teaching, but I think that it will help once again for us to just listen, and it will help me to make the point that I wanna to make today. Making of the ephod, it starts in, in Exodus 39, starting at verse two. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads. Now that process in of itself is very detailed and very fine work. And, and if you can imagine beating sheets of gold thin enough so that you can make threads and they cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges and the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, blue, purple and scarlet thread and a fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. All of this fine, intricate, detailed work, it made me think about the intricate ways that the living God 
is involved in our lives when we turn our lives to follow him. When he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, when we begin to come close to God and align our lives with him, when we can begin to understand as much as we can with our human thinking, with the help of God's Holy Spirit in us, what he has done for us, then we can only grasp. But if he has taken the care to put into making of the the designs so beautifully for the priesthood, with this design so intricate and things just woven in and, and designed so beautifully, God has created us in his image. He has made us unique and he has put his mark and has threaded himself through our lives and our story, our lifetime, if we give ourselves to him, will become that intricate design that God has designed us for from before he formed us in our mother's womb. We are not an accident. We are not just an example of something that just happened. We are the thoughts and the design of a a magnificent creator who loves us so very, very much. And what an amazing thing that over time in our lives, we can't even see all of the areas in our life where God has been so intimately involved. And I think someday when we're in eternity with him, that will all be revealed. We'll one day know it all. We wouldn't be able to handle it, I don't think, Rod, in our human bodies the way we are right now. The intricacies, the elaborate ways that God intervenes for us in our lives, the protection that he provides, the healing that that he provides for us, our very life breath is what he provides for us. And I think the the discipline of the Holy Spirit is that he withdraws the information that would kill us. We are not holy in our Mm -hmm. body. So he desires to give us information about himself, but too much and we would be it. It'd be like, you know, (laughs) we walked with God and and we're not not. because God would take us. And I believe that's what happened with Enoch. But, But that becomes important to listen to that today, beloved. Today, we learned a lot about wearing and the garments in the church. And I want to tell you that we have this available to you. This is sermons that a collection of sermons I've done to camera so that you can watch it and read it. Go to the website at Bible Discovery TV or call or write and uh, you can get a hold of yours. But today, to close the program, we need to pray. Let's pray this way. Lord, help me to think with my mind of Christ when I go to church and anything else in Jesus' name, amen.